they aren't just houses. They're much more than shiny cars. And please don't call them objects. At AAA, we recognize your most valuable assets are more than just things. They're first cars fueled by sweat, dream homes built by double shifts. So why are we spending 15 minutes or less protecting them? At AAA, we believe your hard work and dreams deserve more than a price tool. So our AAA agents listen, learn, and look beyond the lacquer of your new car. AAA Insurance, for auto, home, and life. Go to AAA.com slash insurance to find an agent. to the weekly boxing show on the Grilling Truth Radio Network, sponsored by Gridiron Mo, SteelbergBox.com, RealBanglesFans.com. Um, I'm the host, Mike Goodpaster, and let me welcome in my guest host, as always, Dave Sadursky. How you doing, Mr. Little Dave? I'm doing well. How you doing, Mike? All right. We were supposed to have Vinny Pazzi in tonight, but I guess Vinny forgot. Maybe Greg Haugen whipped his ass too much. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe he got you know maybe he got frozen in the tundra that New England this weekend. Yeah, well, it's frozen everywhere. It's frozen here too. So um, we figured <laughs> since you're mythical Dave Sadursky, you would have a top ten mythical matchups in boxing history you would have liked to seen. So you want to go ahead and explain to us what your criteria is. Um. It, 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 it's pretty simple. The uh, the most fascinating uh, matchups between any fighter in any era that um, you know, if you could put two guys um, from any any time, any period together, um, and uh, you know, see what would happen. Um, which which of those would you most like to see? All right, let's start off. What's your number ten? Uh, my number ten is. Um, the uh, the greatest pound for pound fighter of all time, Sugar Ray Robinson versus um, a very dangerous opponent, uh, Thomas the Hitman Hearns, who is an all time great in his own right. Um, let's set this fight at uh, 154 pounds, which is where Tommy was at his best, and um, Sugar Ray was at his best at 147, um, and also held the title at 160, but he wasn't nearly as good of a middleweight as he was a welterweight. So, um, obviously, Robinson would be a big favorite. Um, but Tommy, uh, you know, Tommy could both box and punch. Um, and I think it would be an interesting matchup. He's two inches taller than Sugar Ray Robinson, longer reach. Might be able to give him some trouble. But um, ultimately, I think uh, Sugar Ray Robinson just had... You know, he was too fast and too powerful. He probably gets Tommy somewhere around round eight. Well, I, I think this. I, I think the problem is this. Hearns, one of the biggest punchers ever lived at welterweight. As he went up, he could still punch, didn't get the knockouts that he used to. I think Robinson was a better boxer, even though Ray Robinson or Tommy Hearns outboxed Sugar Ray Leonard for most of their first and second fight when it came to that. Um, but yeah, I, I think when you look at him, I think Hearns punched harder, but the problem was I think Robinson took a lot better punch and a lot of guys like Iran Barkley, even though he was a middleweight at the time, a lot of guys tapped him on the chin and got him out of there. So I think that's the big difference. You say Robinson takes him out in the eighth. I think the one thing about Tommy is Tommy had a lot of heart. 
I, I think Tommy could have drug it in about the 10th or 11th, but I think he would got knocked out and probably spectacularly similar to the Hagler fight. So I'm going to agree with you on that one. What you got at number nine? Uh, my number nine, and as I'm looking at this, this might be too low. Um, Smoking Joe Frazier versus um, Evander, the real deal, Holyfield. I'm a, I mean, both of these guys, uh, tremendous warriors, um, gave the crowd their money's worth each and every time they went out there. Um, Evander was uh, a smallish heavyweight for his day, but uh, more than made up with it, made up for it with, with his skill and, um, uh, you know, his willingness to bring it. Um, Frazier, interestingly, Frazier is actually or was actually a smaller guy than Holyfield from an earlier era. Um, yeah, I think he was like 5'11", a little over 200 pounds, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and Holyfield was, um, what, 210? Or between yeah, 205 two, and, yeah. It was usually, when, it, when he first got the heavyweight, I think it was usually between 205 and 212. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so if anything, Holyfield was the bigger guy. Um, Holyfield wouldn't be afraid. Um, Holyfield would be wise to try to box Joe Frazier. Um, if he tried to trade with him, he'd get killed. Uh, the problem is uh, I just think Frazier was the harder puncher, um, a vicious body puncher. It would be spectacular while it lasted. Um, I'm going to go with Frazier um, by a technical knockout somewhere around the 11th or 12th round. Well, to me, the, big, the greatest comparison, I think, for this fight was, I believe, when Holyfield won the cruiserweight title. I think they called it the junior heavyweight title because it was WBA. It'd be Dwight Muhammad Kwawi, who was very similar, only a little bit shorter and probably a little bit fatter <laughs> later <laughs> yeah. on. But he, he was a little softer. But Dwight Muhammad Kwawi. You know, Evander Holyfield won, I think, the fight of the year in 86 with a 15-round, I think it was a split decision, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, a split decision over Kwawi. Now, I know that Holyfield was a much better fighter a few years later, but I also know Frazier was a lot better than Kwawi. And if you look at guys that fought like Frazier, probably the two closest guys that Holyfield fought that were like Frazier were Dwight Bahama Kwawi and Burt Cooper. If you remember, they even called Burt Cooper smoking Burt Cooper because he looked like Joe Frazier. He fought like Joe Frazier. And he was only a few seconds away from actually winning the heavyweight title in Evander Holyfield's hometown in Atlanta, Georgia, I believe, in 1991. I think mm -hmm. it might have been his yeah. first or second defense after he beat Buster Douglas. So, yeah, I, I think this. I, and the other thing is you said he had to outbox him. Holyfield's problem was, except for maybe the Tyson fight, when guys came at him, it was like Arturo Gotti. If you remember, Buddy McGirt took him over, and every fight they'd say the same thing. Well, Gotti's going to box him this time. And he'd box for three or four rounds, and somebody clubbed him in the head, and the next thing you know, you had a brawl. So right. I, right. I think this is a fight that it would be a 15-round war. I don't think it would go 15. But I, I think Frazier would stop him in a war of attrition probably around the 13th round, especially the Frazier that fought Muhammad Ali March of 1971. Because still, to me, if you watch that fight, those are the two best heavyweights I ever saw on that one night. I, I, I agree. That was magic. Now, well, who's your number eight? My number eight, um, you know, again, a modern guy versus a guy from the 1980s, uh, Manny Pacquiao. 
um, at 140 versus Aaron the Hawk Pryor. Um, Pacquiao looked like a world beater between around um, 2008 and, say, 2011, um, you know, stopping guys like De La Hoya, Ricky Hatton, and the list goes on and on. He just looked unbeatable during that, you know, during that period of time, the combination of speed and power. And, um, you know, those of us um, from the generation of the 80s, remember Aaron Pryor, um, whirlwind of motion, threw over 100 punches per round, proved he was for real, um, you know, defeating the legendary Alexis Arguello twice. Um, how I see this one going, I, I think Manny could give Manny Aaron Pryor early. Pryor had some defensive deficiencies, so I see Pryor going down maybe once, maybe twice in the early rounds. Um, but I think, you know, in the end, Pryor was the naturally bigger man, and he was pretty fast in his own right. So I think this would be, you know, be a lot of fun while it lasts, and it would be a war of attrition. Um, I see Pryor winning... Um, by either a TK or KO somewhere around round nine or round ten. Yeah, I actually think Pryor would get him out of there quicker. I think Pryor was naturally the bigger guy. He was 140 pounds normally. And if you look at the guys that Pac-Man beat when he got the 140, I mean, the De La Hoya win, De La Hoya was well past his prime. Hatton was coming off an ass-whooping by you know, Floyd Mayweather. Um, the, they're similar fighters where they were kind of unorthodox, the way they attacked, they threw a lot of punches. And I just think that in the end, Pryor was just stronger. And I mean, Pryor against Arguello, I mean, that was, that was one of the greatest fights in history. And he withstood Arguello, who was one of the great fighters in history. Of course, they were a little bit different kind of fighter, because Arguello was more of a stand in the pocket and just try to box you and land his big right hand. But I would take Pryor. I think Pryor takes him out in four or five rounds. Okay. But all right. So what you um, what you got at number seven? My number seven. Um, this one, yeah, were it not for the untimely demise of Salvador Sanchez, this one probably could have and would have come off. Um, Salvador Sanchez versus Alexis Arguello. Um, Salvador Sanchez, very short career, but he was brilliant while, he, while it lasted. Um, you know, he, he could box. He had speed. Um, he had deceptive punching power. He beat the likes of uh, Danny Littleward Lopez, Wilfredo Gomez, um, Azuma Nelson. That's three Hall of Famers right there. Yeah, Ruben um, Castillo, he, Pat Ford. He beat a bunch of good guys, and he beat them yeah, all in a short he, period of time. He, he did. He did. And for this one, he'd be moving up to 135 to face Alexis Arguello, who was the um, WBC lightweight champion and, um, you know, universally regarded as the best fighter in that division. A Hall of Famer in his own right. Well, see, I don't um, think they would have because if you remember, I think that fight was proposed right before his death, and I think it was proposed at 130. What, okay, so that part I didn't know about. Yeah, because Arguello actually moved up after the death of Sanchez to to try to get some bigger fights. That's when he beat Jim Watt. I think he beat Watt, what, 1981, 1982? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so I I think Watt is the fight he took because he couldn't get the Sanchez fight. Sanchez was only 124, 
So I, I think 124. I don't think he was going to jump all the way to 135. But I think they were talking about fighting for the junior lightweight title at 130. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had I, I heard some negotiations that had occurred around, you know, sometime in 1982. But that's that's beside the point. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, Sanchez had had the style and the skill set to give Alexis some trouble. Alexis did not like guys who could move, guys who could box. Um, so I think Sanchez would give him some trouble over the first half of the fight. But um, I think, you know, and Salvador had great stamina. But in the end, I think Arguello was the bigger guy. Um, I actually did this one on Mythical Boxing once and got a lot of crap for it, um, for having Arguello win. But I You're think Arguello... You're about to get it again, Dave. <laughs> I think Arguello would ultimately wear him down and, and stop him in the later rounds. But he'd probably be, be behind on points at the time that it happened. I could not really see anybody stopping Salvador Sanchez when he was 24 years old. Um, the other thing is this. Arguello was a straight-up-and-down boxer, and Sanchez did a lot more moving side-to-side. I think Sanchez would just take angles and just box his ears off. And, I mean, there's a lot to be said that Arguello was bigger, but Arguello really, 135 was not where, I mean, he fought a lot, he fought at junior lightweight and even featherweight earlier in his career. And you got to remember that Sanchez was only 24 years old. So I think Sanchez would eventually, over the next two or three years, grown into that weight class just like Arguello did. But I think in the end... I think Arguello, or Arguello loses a, fifth, a close 15-round 15 15 decision to Sanchez just because I think Sanchez's movement would have gave him trouble. I mean, most boxers gave Arguello trouble. And it's not like Sanchez would stand there right in front of him to get hit. And, I mean, that was the mistake most lightweights, junior featherweights, made back with him. Or featherweights, junior lightweights, sorry about that. But I think Sanchez wins the fight, and Alexis Arguello is one of my favorite fighters ever. But I just think the style matchup would have been really rough for him. Um, yeah, there are, number... there are... Go ahead. You there? Oh, I, I'm here. I thought I heard somebody ping in. <laughs> oh, no. Um, no? What's your number okay. six? Okay, sorry about that. Um, okay, my number six is another interesting matchup. Uh, Pernell Whitaker versus uh, Roberto Duran. Um Pernell Whitaker was um, arguably the fighter of the 1990s. Um, brilliant defensively. Um, had a tremendous career. Ar- arguably, he was not beaten. Um, well, well, he got you know he got jobbed against um, you know Ramirez for his first loss, and he got jobbed against Chavez. Arguably, he got jobbed against De La Hoya. You could argue he didn't legitimately lose until this fight with Felix Trinidad. And the thing is this, that they're fighting at lightweight. He'd never legitimately lost there because the Jose Luis Ramirez fight, he won every round that wasn't even close. Yeah, yeah, that was completely close. Um, you know, on the other side of the of the aisle, you have um, Roberto Duran, who is arguably the greatest lightweight of all time. Won, what, 71 of his first 72 fights? Um, yeah, just the only unbeat- loss in a non-title fight to Esteban de Jesus. Yeah, obliterated the lightweight division in the 1970s. Um, Whitaker actually had had the style to give to give Roberto some trouble. Um, clever southpaw, 
Um, excellent, you know, excellent movement, tremendous defensive fighter, a real cutie. Um, so I, I, I think this is a really interesting matchup. Um, I think it's close over the first 10 rounds. Um, but I think, uh, you know, going down the stretch, um, you know, if we're talking a 15-round fight, which I think is the real championship limit, um, Roberto dominates the last five rounds um, and, and pulls out a decision. Um, but at, at times, he's not going to look good doing it. Okay, th- this is going to surprise you, but I think Whitaker beats him. I, I think he okay. Was a, if you look at Roberto Duran, even against guys like Edwin Verwet, who was a mover, he had a hard time. I mean, their first fight was close. The second fight was competitive. Um, you look at what he did against Sugar Ray Leonard with Leonard boxing him. And I mean, the, and I don't think there's ever been outside of Willie Pep a better defensive fighter in the history of boxing than Pernell Whitaker. I think Whitaker would have gave him fits. I think Whitaker would have beat him. I mean, if you look at lightweight, other than Esteban de Jesus, how many great fighters did Duran beat? Um, Buchanan, arguably. Buchanan. Buchanan. With a low blow. He was still winning the fight, but still. He was still winning the fight. To me, Kim Buchanan is the only guy, and I don't think Ken Buchanan really registers as really great. I mean, now you could also make the or make the same case against Whitaker, but I just think this is something that I think the style makes the fight. I think Whitaker would have beaten him by a decision, and I think probably by four or five points. Okay, yeah, I, I, if they fought ten times, I, I, I think Whitaker would win a few of those, um, but I think Duran would win more. Uh, Duran probably wins um, six six out of ten at least. All right, so what do you got at number five? Uh, number five would be utter mayhem. Um, we're going to throw Aaron Pryor in the mix again and um, put him in against um, Hammer and Henry Armstrong. I mean, these two guys just mirror images of each other. Um, prior, you know, Both guys threw over 100 punches per round. Both guys were um, aggressive, brought it each and every night. Um it wouldn't be a dance fest. It would be a slug fest all the way. Um, I'm going to pick Armstrong for two reasons. One, I think he had the better chin. Um, two, he had vastly more experience. Um, so it, it, it's going to be hellacious for eight rounds, but um, Armstrong talked, stops prior at that point. Yeah, I, I would take Armstrong just because of the level of competition he faced. I mean, Pryor's competition after Arguello, I mean, there's not much outside of Arguello. Fought a, a few decent fighters, but overall there's not that much there, and a lot of that's Pryor's fault because, you know, the coke, ha- the coke habit he ended up with um, ended up half-blind with the detached retina. His only loss was to Bobby Joe Young in a fight in Wisconsin. Did, I mean, come on, Aaron Pryor's never going to lose to Bobby Joe Young, but there's just not enough from his history to say that he could beat somebody like Henry Armstrong. Right, right. So what do you got at number four? My number four, um, and we'll set Facebook on fire with this one, Um, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard versus uh, Floyd Mayweather Jr. I I have seen this uh, speculated on ad nauseum um, on Facebook and on Twitter, and I see so many. I, I've seen people do mythical matchups between these two guys, 
and I see a lot of, uh, okay, Ray Leonard wins a close decision. No, Floyd's the GOAT. He wins, blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't see this as a close fight at all. I, I see, um, yeah, Mayweather was the better defensive fighter. He gives Ray Leonard a little trouble early, maybe ekes ahead on the scorecards, but in the end, um, Sugar Ray Leonard was just as fast, if not faster. He was much stronger. Um, he'd take Mayweather to a place where he'd never been before. Um, he, you know, starting from the middle of the Who are you fight talking about, finally, a library? <laughs> what's that? I, <laughs> are you talking about a library? You said that Leonard would take Floyd Mayweather a place he'd never been before. I thought maybe you were talking about a public library. Oh, the library. Oh, <laughs> I mean to a house of pain where he'd have to fight back. Um, <laughs> so from the middle of the fight onward, uh, Leonard takes him to school and beats it, you know beats the crap out of him, and either wins. Um, you know, if it's a twelve round fight, Leonard wins a unanimous decision. If it's the true fifteen round distance. Ray takes him out late. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I believe Ray Leonard would take him out. I, th- I think he takes him out in five or six rounds. Wow. He's a very underrated. I mean, you look at the people he fought. I mean, and this is the thing. He stood toe-to-toe, albeit it was a stupid mistake to do, with one of the best toe-to-toe fighters in history in Roberto Duran. And if you watch that fight and you score it, that was a to me. It was a one forty three, one forty two win for Duran, and you know that may just be because I'm a Duran fan. But I only had Duran beating him by a point, and that was fighting Duran's fight. I mean, you look at what he did with Tommy Hearns. I mean, I don't think that Leonard or Floyd Mayweather could take the shots that Hearns gave Leonard and keep fighting. So to me, no. this is no brainer. I'm going to say Leonard takes him out in six or seven rounds, but. Uh, what are we at? Okay. Three or four? We are at three. Um, okay. So we have we have two heavyweight destroyers now. Um, George Foreman, um, and I'm going to go with the younger George Foreman here from the 1970s. Um, you know, obliterated Joe Frazier, um, obliterated Kenny Norton, um, versus um, Iron Mike Tyson in his heydays in the uh, late 1980s. Um, this, yeah, this would not be a dance fest whatsoever. Uh, two of the hardest punchers um, in heavyweight boxing history. Um, now, I, you know, Iron Mike was, uh, you know, the thing that people probably don't appreciate about Iron Mike was his hand speed. Um, he was, he probably was and is still the fastest heavyweight that we've seen since Muhammad Ali. Um, so he's certainly dangerous in this fight. But that said, I, I see this um, a little similar to uh, Foreman and Joe Frazier in that, you know, you have somebody who's 6'4 versus somebody who's 5'10, 5'11, who has to work to get inside. And in order to get inside, he's got to expose himself to, to George's big power shots. So um, this one would be fast and furious. Um, both men would be in trouble, but I'm going to go with George Foreman um, by knockout in three rounds. I would say if you want to see who wins this fight, go watch Foreman and Frazier. I mean, Frazier was a better version of Tyson. 
wasn't quite as big, but not that big a difference because if you look at Tyson in his prime, it was usually between 212, 215, correct? 218? Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, I, so I, 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 I difference. But, yeah, I, on the other hand, Mike Tyson beat a bunch of average to good fighters in his prime, and then Foreman was just too big. I mean, he would have come in, he would have got hit on a chin, and I think that would have been it. And if you look at the two of them, I think Foreman, he has a different kind of power than Tyson, but I think he had a bigger punch than Tyson, and I think he took a better punch than Tyson, too, which is probably the difference in a fight with two guys like this. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I'll agree. I, I, would I, say, I say Foreman in two. I, I think the Foreman in 1991 knocks him out in two or three. Uh, I, I'm not so sure I would agree with that. but Well, I think that um, Foreman is more dangerous because he was a lot more relaxed, and I think the only chance Tyson would have had would be to get a Foreman that was tight and kind of wound up. The other Foreman would have just grabbed him, pushed him off, and people forget how good George Foreman's jab was. It was very good. And it was stronger than... And, and there's a reason why Don King didn't want to take what would have been probably at that time a almost $100 million fight at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that version of Foreman would have been a dangerous opponent for Tyson. Um, I just think he would have been too slow. And I think Tyson wins. I, I think, yeah, Tyson wins the decision over the second version of George Foreman. Yeah, but we're talking about the Mike Tyson in 1991-92, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I still think he takes a decision over, you know, over a forty-two or forty-three-year-old George. Well, uh, all I know is this: a forty-five-year-old George knocked out Michael Moore. Yeah, was, uh, Michael Moore wasn't a bad fighter. No, he no, he didn't. He didn't have the talent of a Mike Tyson, though. Mm, debatable, because I still haven't seen <laughs> Tyson beat anybody. Michael Moore beat Evander Holyfield. He did. He had no argument there. And their second nope. fight, he got knocked out in the eighth round, but he put up a better fight than Mike Tyson did against Holyfield. And I think the other thing is this. George Foreman was never never feared any other man. I believe the fact that Mike Tyson, while getting his ass whipped in the second fight, bit Evander Holyfield because he didn't want to get his ass knocked out and embarrassed again. Yeah, I had no argument there. So I don't think you can take a guy with courage, put him against a guy that may lack courage, and expect a guy that lacks the courage to win at any age. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you to a point. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Let's put it that well, way. You agree with it to a point. You just don't want to admit I'm right. You're wrong. Um, what's your number two? <laughs> My number two... Um, being a New England guy, obviously, uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler, one of my favorite fighters, uh, you know, dominated the middleweight division in the 1980s, defended 12 times, uh, cleaned out the division versus his predecessor, who dominated the middleweight division in the 1970s, ruled for seven years, defended 14 times in Carlos Monzo. Um, what a great matchup this would be. Um, Two, uh, two of the probably the three or four greatest middleweights of all time. Um, both guys could 
you know, both could box, both could punch, um, both could pretty much do everything in the ring. Um, Monzone had the height and probably the reach advantage, um, but I think Marvin um, hit just a little bit harder and he was just a little bit faster. I think it would be a very, very, very close fight. Um, but Marvin comes away with a uh, razor-thin split decision. Well, I, think, uh, I, I don't think this necessarily would have been a great fight. I think it would have been maybe the dirtiest fight in history, though. It could have been. It could, it could have been, been all headbutts, elbows, and... <laughs> But hey, you look at it, Monzone probably beat the better competition. I mean, over his entire career. I don't know though, because Hagler, I think his competition's underrated, especially the guys he fought earlier in Philadelphia, guys like Bernie Briscoe or Benny Briscoe, guys like that. I mean, then he beats Thomas Hearns. I just think that from watching them fight, I think Hagler was just a cleaner puncher. Um, I yeah. think Hagler wins. I think Hagler wins a 15 round decision by three or four points. But Monzon was a great fighter. I think he's very underrated and forgotten in a lot of circles nowadays. So I'm going to agree with you with Hagler on that one. And that was your number two or three. That was my number two. So now we're down to number one. All right. I haven't heard um, of Muhammad Ali yet, so I'm sure Muhammad Ali's coming. Okay. In. Yeah. Yeah. This is like. Uh, Number one is completely obvious, except for the Mike Tyson fans out there. Um, the two greatest heavyweights who ever lived, Muhammad Ali versus Joe Lewis. Um, Ali, I mean, hand speed of a middleweight. Um, I mean, he a uh, thing of beauty in the ring. Um, in the 60s, you know, he beat Sonny Liston, um, cleans out the division, then he's, you know, he's forced to take that hiatus um, due to his stand on the draft. Um, comes back, loses to Joe Frazier. He's a little bit past his prime at that point, but then he proves he's a real fighter. Um, you know, with the wars against Frazier, coming back from the loss to Norton, um, upsetting George Foreman when nobody thought he had a chance, and even I'll tell you, even, you know, even the was, win over a young Ernie Shavers at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, 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 and the list goes. Um, at 36, he you know he loses to Leon Spinks and comes back to win six months later. Um, and then you have Joe Lewis who reigned the heavyweight division for 12 years, 25 title defenses. All right, let's get to it. I want to hear you break this down because I think this fight's a mismatch. <laughs> I do. Sorry, Style-wise, I think it's a complete mismatch. I actually I read a great article uh, once um, by you know a boxing writer that I respect that broke down how Joe Lewis would beat Muhammad Ali. And regardless of whether you agree or disagree, um, you know, he pointed out some, some flaws in Ali's style. That he was, um, you know, he leaned away from the jab. He kept himself off balance. He was, you know, vulnerable to the left hook. He wasn't, he had some defensive deficiencies that a guy like Joe Lewis could take advantage of. Yeah, but if you remember this, if you watch Muhammad Ali when he thinks a guy is actually good, he takes him a little bit more seriously, number one. But, but the, the, the fight that stands out to me to compare this is how much trouble Joe Lewis had with boxers is Billy Kahn. I mean, Billy Kahn was that, a quick boxer. I mean, Joe Lewis ha- actually had pretty quick hands. He had a great jab. But the one thing is this. Feet-wise, he was a plotter. And if you watch Ali uh, against 
Cleveland Williams, Zora Foley, um, George Shavalo. I mean, he never stood in front of somebody to get hit. And with those guys, he would. But I think if you put a Joe Lewis in front of him, I don't think that he's going to do as much of that, what do they call that, shucking and jiving, as he did with other guys. And I think if you watch Billy Kahn, Billy Kahn took angles on Joe Lewis. And, I mean, he would make a move to the right. Lewis would still be going forward, and Kahn would pop him. And I just have a hard time after seeing that fight thinking that Joe Lewis would have been able to deal with a Muhammad Ali who was 30 pounds heavier and a couple inches taller than Billy Kahn. Well, yeah, you had had guys like Doug Jones who gave Muhammad Ali trouble. Okay, I watched that fight. It's an 8-2 fight, Dave. That fight is considered Mm -hmm. close because nobody thought Doug Jones would be able to go 10 rounds with him. You seriously, sit down and watch that fight. I think it's an 8-2 or a 7-3. And the thing is this. Mm -hmm. I can give you a Billy Kahn, I, I can give you a bunch of guys. Arthur Godoy, or Arturo Godoy, gave Joe Lewis problems. So you can't judge a guy. I mean, James Quick Tillis damn near beat Mike Tyson when he was in his prime, and Quillis, Tillis was three years past his prime. So things like that happen. But I can also tell right. you this, nobody beat Ali in his prime. You know, his prime would have been, what, from the Olympics to 67 when they basically banned him for three years? And he comes yeah, back and he fights a Joe Frazier, beats Frazier two out of three, beats George Foreman, beats Sonny List, and did Joe Lewis, who's the best fighter Joe Lewis beat? And Joe Lewis never lost in this prime either. He beat, who's beat, the best? Uh, yes, Max, Max, Max okay, Joe Lewis did not lose fighter. in his prime? Dave, you're out of your no, damn didn't. mind. Okay, he in 1936, Max Schmeling knocked his ass out. He was 21, 22 years old. Okay, so you know what? I, I was 21 or 22 one time, and that was my prime. I mean, <laughs> prime-wise, I'm talking about this. Muhammad Ali, when he was 22, was knocking Sonny Liston's ass out. And Joe Lewis <laughs> was getting knocked out. And you know what? <laughs> if, you watched it, if you watched the first Schmeling fight, Schmeling wasn't a great boxer, but the reason Schmeling beat him was his movement, yeah, not huge, not quick movement like Ali, but it was just giving him angles and picking him apart. Yeah, Lewis came back and knocked his ass out in one round. Yeah, when he was later. old. When he was old, three or four years later. <laughs> two years. <laughs> two years. <laughs> it was two years, but he was old. <laughs> he was. Right. There is a reason in 19, when Joe Lewis won the title. There's a reason they fought Joe Lewis instead of Max Schmeling. And it was three years later when he got the title shot. Because if you remember, James J. Braddock, after he beats Max Bear, actually sat around and did nothing for two years until he defended it against Joe Lewis. And the rightful mm-hmm. heir to fight for that fight should have been Max Schmeling, but you had all the Nazi crap. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what you're telling me more- is you believe Joe Lewis would beat Muhammad Ali. No, no, you didn't ask me my pick. You asked me my argument. Um, uh, so I, you know, all this said, um, I am going to still go with Muhammad Ali, but it's not going to be as easy as a lot of people think it is. Um, I, I think Lewis Lewis has him in trouble at a couple of points in the fight, um, scores his share of points, but overall um, Ali outpoints him. It's probably going to be somewhere um, around nine six or nine five one in rounds. Okay. Um, so I, it's going to be I a believe good it'll be a tough fight. fight because Joe Lewis was probably the second greatest heavyweight of all time. 
But a guy like Joe Frazier was a tougher matchup for Ali. It's just like I think Pernell Whitaker could have outpointed Roberto Duran. But if you look at their careers, Duran was the greater fighter. Super Bowl Forty Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Super Bowl Forty Two. You can't tell me that the Giants were better than the Patriots, but the Giants had a defensive line to go up against probably the weakness of that New England team and they took advantage of mm-hmm. it. And I just yeah, think styles make fights. Yeah. Yeah, I just I can't see a plotter like Joe Lewis being able to track down Ali to even really hurt him. I think Lewis would be tough. I think Ali stops even the eleven for twelfth round. But okay, yeah. I could be I, wrong. I was that one time. <laughs> <laughs> but Dave, thanks for coming on. I'm real close to getting Paul Vaden. You remember Paul Vaden? I remember Paul Vaden. Champion of the world. He's supposed to get back to me shortly. He may be next week's guest. But I would okay. like to thank, you know, once again, Vinny Pazienza. Even though he changed his name to Paz, he done forgot about calling into this show, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but make sure you check out GridArmo at www.gridarmo.com. Check out Steelberg Box, real Bengals fans. So, Dave, you got any final words? Um, great show as always, Mike, and um, look forward to doing it again soon. All right, so make sure you check us out next week on the Boxing Weekly Show again. Also, if you go to the Grueling Truth Facebook page, you can check out our interviews this week, which we've got Tony Hunter, former Notre Dame star, also played for the Bills and the Rams. Um, tomorrow i got a special guest, Eddie Meter, who I think should be in the Hall of Fame, still holds six L.A. and St. Louis Rams records, played from 59 through 70, played for great coaches like Sid Gilman, um, George Allen, intercepted 46 passes in his career. Uh, Wednesday night, we will have former Dolphin DB, Kerry Glenn, and then also we will have a special guest coming up, which we can't tell anybody about, but we're going to have a discussion on the Peyton Manning scandal. Um, So make sure you check that out also. So check out the Grueling Truth Facebook page. Check us out at Grueling Truth on Twitter. Make sure you follow us there. So, for Dave Sidersky, I'm Mike Good Pastor. This has been the Grueling Truth, where the legends speak. Week 17 is upon us, and more than half the teams are vying for playoff position. And with the haves trying to knock off the have-nots this weekend, there's plenty of action to track at BetOnline.net. Then the stage will be set for the pro football playoffs, and BetOnline.net will have odds, lines, and props all the way through the championship. Check out all the action this week at BetOnline.net as the journey to Tampa gets underway. Always available online on your mobile device. Visit BetOnline.net today. Bring the game home at BetOnline.net. They aren't just houses. They're much more than shiny cars. And please don't call them objects. At AAA, we recognize your most valuable assets are more than just things. They're first cars fueled by sweat. Dream homes built by double shifts. So why are we spending 15 minutes or less protecting them? At AAA, we believe your hard work and dreams deserve more than a price tool. So our AAA agents listen, learn, and look beyond the lacquer of your new car. AAA Insurance. For auto, home, and life. Go to AAA.com insurance to find an agent.